kidding yourself, mister. You're not even in my league. Hello, hello, hello. This is me and my friend Pete, the podcast that explores all things the amazing Spider-Man. I'm your host, the mighty monologuing Motormouth. They call me Gerald. If this is your first time with us, welcome. If it isn't, welcome, 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 welcome back. This week, we're running through the amazing Spider-Man number 23, the Goblin and the Gangsters. If you haven't already, please consider becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash HSPP in the Key Keeper or High Council tiers, where you gain access every week to a bonus episode of me and my friend Pete covering a comic book pull from High Society's extensive vault collection chosen by you, the listeners. If you sign up before our season one finale, that's episode number 25, you receive a High Society lapel pin. As I always say, you know fashion is important here on me and my friend Pete, and we want to be a part of yours. This week's bonus, we're over in DC with Batman the Widening Gyre, part four, the center cannot hold. Batman's got a new ally, an old flame, and a constant stream of villainy to keep him up all night long. That's later. Right now, we've got Ned Leeds and Peter Parker jockeying for first position. We've got Lucky Lobo and Green Goblin both trying to end the other's mission. We've got Gobby paying off a rat and JJ getting Foswell back and two words everybody loves to hear. That's action packed. And we've got me. We've got you. We've got no further ado. We've got the amazing Spider-Man number 23, the Goblin and the Gangsters. Me and my best friend Pete, old adventures, new critiques. He spins webs, I spin yarns. Kinda kooky, be forewarned. Look out, it's me and my friend P. The credits on this one, it was written in the spellbinding style of Stan Lee, illustrated in a magnificent manner of Steve Ditko, and lettered in the frenzied fashion of Artie Simek. The cover on this beauty has The Amazing Spider-Man written in Spidey New Roman shade red, with Spidey costume blue beneath his name on top of the spider webs in a white negative space. Beneath this, in a black caption box in white letters, Don't waste a minute. You've got to see Spidey in action against. And in giant goldenrod letters, The Goblin and the Gangsters. And beneath this, we've got action. Above curves and straight lines that make the bottom of the page look like a jungle gym, we've got pipes, generators, the works. It may be a processing plant. Spidey and Green Goblin are back in another epic action scene. This time we see the Green Goblin in royal purple, his nightcap, forearm length gloves, shirt, underwear over his tights and elf boots. In green, his mask in its perpetual grin, his tights, chainmail styled sleeves, and chainmail tights on his legs. Anything else? He's got his bag of tricks shade purple and his pink belt. It's to note his gloves, boots, and bag are neon pink inside the comic, so you know we've got the bait and switch. Gobby's atop his silver bass-shaped glider, stage left, halfway down the page, grinning wildly, and he is clocked in right now. His left leg bent up to his belt, his body weight shifted to his right side, he's just hurled two pumpkin bombs from his right hand. And in his left, he's holding the end of a strand of the most amazing invention in the whole world, Spidey's webbing. Spidey? Draped in his custom red and blue costume, he's upside down, his right arm extended, his hand, pinky, and thumb out, gripping a silver pole that runs the length of the page horizontally near the bottom. His right arm is bent at the elbow above his head. His left knee is bent up towards his chest, blocking out the lower half of the spider logo there, and his right leg is out straight near that horizontal pole. As one of Gobby's pumpkin bombs flies past his butt, towards a metallic silver pillar stage right of him and the other swords towards his torso between his right leg and arm stage left. If that's not enough precarity, what? It's a word, I looked it up. Back to, if that's not enough precarity for you, a third pumpkin bomb has already exploded above his head. But wait, there's more. Remember that strand of webbing Gobby was holding? It extends from his hand, growing wider as it loops past Spidey's lower back in front of his left arm. Above his head, Behind his right arm, across the front of his torso, 
then back behind his left hand in a swooping spiral with one final loop wrapping his right hand. All Gabi has to do is tug the right way and Spidey will be bound up tighter than a toss from the laureate of the lariat Montana himself. It's only moments like these that I wish Spidey didn't have a mask on so I could see the look on his face. But this is why he wears the mask. Let's get into it. Page one opens to the sign of the spider next to the title of this issue in a giant red screen box with goldenrod lettering. The Goblin and the Gangsters. When I say there are sparks flying, my people, I mean that literally. Green Goblin has let off the firework-like sparks from his fingertips and goldenrod yellow sparks are dancing all around the room like it's the 4th of July. There's even more action on page one than the cover with the Green Goblin pulling us into it. He swooped around a square room with light blue walls, leaving a white smoke trail towards us from stage left to stage right, that maniacal perma smile on his face, and hurling no less than three pumpkin bombs in our direction. He's looking at us, everyone. He's aiming at us. I'm going to point out his left knee is raised and sews the silver wing of his goblin glider to match. The wings of this thing flap and bend and move with his legs, making him quite agile on it as we've seen when he first let it fly in ASM number 17, the return of the Green Goblin. That's vicious vicissitudes. Here on Me and My Friend Pete, back to. Goblin is tossing pumpkin bombs in our direction, stage right of center, and behind him, stage left, we've got four gangsters, all of their backs to us as they're rushing forward with fists raised. That's brown suit, brown loafers, Veronica black hair. That's SJB suit, auburn hair, green fedora. That's gray suit, brown hair, and green jacket, orange pants, black hair, brown fedora. They're all white, and they're all trying to get to our hero, Spider-Man, who, arms wide, web wings stretching from beneath his arms to his waist, is pulling play four from the Golden Liability Playbook. What's the fourth play? Back against the wall, Spidey's gonna leap. And I'm sure on his descent, he's gonna rain down blows on the suited gang. Beneath the action, in front of the smoke, we get a caption box in yellow. Dedicated to the new breed of comics magazine reader, to you, the modern Marvel fan, who will accept nothing less than the best in story and art. This one's dedicated to us, my people. Let's turn the page. Page two opens, as it often does, to a caption box. Everyone enjoys a fast-moving cops and robbers story. And when you throw in a costume superhero, a colorful supervillain, and the marvelous Marvel manner, it's gotta be good. Want proof? Just take a look. M-dash, M-dash, M-dash. And the story opens in a mobster's office. There's a plush, armless leather sofa stage left, pushed up against the far wall to the right of the door to the office. A yellow desk, a wooden armchair behind it with a leather seat, Stage right, a picture frame hanging behind that. And all around the room, milling about, whispering to each other, smoking cigarettes, are New York gangsters in suits and fedoras. Except for the one guy in a full body orange tracksuit and a brown newsy cap. Behind the wooden desk is a man with a pompadour hairstyle. His hair actually kind of looks like the Hammerhead's hairstyle. If you're familiar with the Hammerhead villain, he comes way later. But right now, this guy is on his feet in a stylish light brown, vertically pinstriped suit, blue tie, and as all bosses do in Silver Age comics, he's puffing a cigar. His right hand pressed on his desktop, he's pointing his left at the Green Goblin, who's standing in front of the door, both feet in the hooks of his Goblin glider, on his Foggy Nelson, staying ready so he doesn't have to get ready. If things pop off, Goblin will be in the air, like that. And we've come in after the preamble of the Green Goblin convincing the gangsters to give him an audience with their boss. I imagine it was much like him getting the enforcers to work for him in ASM number 14 when he walked into the room and recruited the GOAT gang by showing off his finger sparks. That's just deserts. Here on me and my friend Pete. Back to. This guy's name is Lucky Lobo, probably an homage to Prohibition era gangster and legendary mobster who changed organized crime in America forever, Lucky Luciano. Anyway, whatever Goblin said before we became a spider on the wall is irrelevant. What's Lucky Lobo saying now? You must be nuts, Goblin. I ain't letting you or anyone else take over my game. Now hit the road, mister, while you still can. Green Goblin tries to plead his case, saying under his leadership, Lobo's gang will be able to take over every racket in the city. But Lobo's gang is a lot more loyal than the Masters of Menace. The guy in the orange tracksuit whispers to his friend, a wise guy in a green suit and blue turtleneck, saying the Green Goblin's costume is corny. But other than that, every gang member is watching silently, waiting for instructions from LL. That's Lucky Lobo. And Lucky's got instruction for sure. He tells Goblin that nobody muscles in on his mob, and to prove it, 
tells his gang to roll on the Green Goblin. A guy that Lucky's left in an SJB suit and orange Panama hat goes into his suit jacket for his strap, saying it'll be a pleasure. He's about to put two in the boy. While Blue Turtleneck raises both fists and advances. He lunges into the next panel, but Goblin shoots up towards the ceiling saying the pleasure will be his. Turtleneck misses completely on the lunge, getting a face full of smoke instead. While Goblin, reaching into his bag of tricks with his left hand, fires a blast from the pointer finger of his right hand at the 22 pistol in Panama Hat's hand. Firing on all cylinders now, he hurls a pumpkin bomb at LL's gang, saying they better leave before they hurt themselves. It hits the floor at their feet, releasing smoke, sparks, and a blinding flash of light as the goons cover their eyes and black smoke fills the air. Goblin lets them know that the only reason he won't hurt them is because he's going to need them in good condition to work for him soon. And with barely a backwards glance, he shoots through the window of Lucky's office above the crowded street below, shouting over his shoulder. Think it over, Lucky. Next time I visit you, I won't let you on so easy. Seconds later, accompanied by a reporter, the police officer enters the office of Lucky Lobo. And I assume the black police officer who's just walked into Lobo's office is the top cop in the NYPD. There's no other explanation for calling him the police officer with no prior introduction. And if he's the top cop, I'm going to call him Lowry. I'm also going to assume he's Joe of Joe and Tomas's fame's former partner, but the two had to be separated after the warehouse explosion of 59 at the Parker docks. What are you talking about? Just adding some color back Two. So Officer Laurie enters the room telling the mobster that he saw the Green Goblin just fly away. And Lucky says, I know you did because we got rid of him just now. The reporter, smiling and taking notes, says he's got a great headline. Green Goblin raids mobsters. And this makes sense. If you recall, the Green Goblin has shown up twice so far. But both times, he didn't really break any laws. And the public knows about him because he embarrassed Spider-Man in front of everyone in their second fight. A fight J. Jonah Jameson was at front row center. And you know he wasted no time letting New York City know. That's Amazing Spider-Man number 17. Or the Vicious Vicissitudes. Here on Me and My Friend Pete. And with all that, the reporter setting the Green Goblin up as a hero. Either way, Officer Laurie points a threatening finger at Lucky. Telling the gangster that he'll slip up eventually. Lucky, cool as the other side of the pillow, replies. Me? I'm innocent as a newborn babe. As Laurie struts out, a goon in a black fedora with sequin yellow band tells Lucky the town's hot, that the police ain't giving him a moment's rest. And Lucky is pissed. How pissed? He snaps his cigar in half, blaming the goblin for all the extra heat. He says the goblin is trying to get him out of the way so that he can take over. In the next panel, we see the green goblin soaring above the city towards his hideout. Of course he's giving the game away, talking to an audience of himself saying he's got to speed up his timeline because he's getting impatient. Ditko is working in the next panel because the goblin looks right at us. His elf ears are beautifully detailed, long, pointy, all the little crevices shaded in perfectly. It's beautiful to look at. And he's screaming. Taking over Lucky Lobo's gang is only the first step. After that, all the mobs in the city will fall into line. I'll control the entire underworld. He shoots past the water tower towards the light of the full moon, concluding his monologue. The Green Goblin, King of Crime. I like that. It has a nice ring to it. And it all happened sooner than anyone suspects. But now, let us briefly turn away from such sordid matters and visit the quiet suburban home of Peter Parker the next morning where we find. We get a shot of the Parker house on Saturday morning. It's outer walls painted pink, the oak tree on the western side of the house, two stories tall. And inside of the house, we have Pete Starr streaming from the attic window. And he's thinking he's glad it's Saturday because he got to sleep in and it was a pleasure. He gets washed up and we see the goldenrod kid, his brown hair must. He's got his SJB slacks on, a t-shirt, white socks, and his house shoes. He's drying his face with a towel wrapped around his neck and thinking he can smell the bacon cooking downstairs. That Aunt May must be down there cooking, so it's a perfect time to go get his Spider-Man costume so he can put it on beneath his clothes. He heads up to the attic, pushes the trap door open, and spots his costume on a hanger on the wall in a hidden corner of the room. He washed the costume, I assume by hand, last night while May was sleeping. He thinks it should be dry by now, and he's glad that he has an attic because Aunt May doesn't travel to the attic too much, so it's the perfect place to hide a costume. But page four opens with Pete rubbing the sleeve and torso area of his costume and realizing it's still wet. He obviously can't take the costume with him. Too bad I can't just go into a store and ask for a wash and wear Spidey outfit. So instead, 
He moves a pile of junk in front of the corner to hide the costume in case May needs to go to the attic for anything and heads to his room to change. He enters the kitchen and May in a black dress, pink collared shirt, and olive sweater with the sleeves rolled up is cooking eggs on the range, sunny side up. She looks over her shoulder at her nephew asking if he's dressed to go out. And is he? Petey LeMans is in the building, a black button-up SJB slacks and a white leather jacket like he's Steve McQueen. He says he's going to the library to study because he's not trying to miss out on that science scholarship for State U. My man is working for that scholarship. Aunt May points a threatening finger at Pete in the next panel. She's still salty about Pete's actions in ASM number 22 or Spiance in the Fleabag 2, rebranded, reloaded, here on Me and My Friend Pete. She says, remember, Peter, I don't like you staying out too late. If you be delayed, be sure to call me, not like last time. Pete says okay and tells her not to worry. He exits the house and grabs a paper from the newsstand on the way to the library. And we see a group of people milling around the newsstand, black and white, so we finally entered an age where there are just black people existing inside of the Marvel Universe. My people, the universe is starting to feel like home. But this is New York City. We're going to need a lot more diversity. I know we'll get there. Back to. So Pete's walking and reading the paper, which has to be as dangerous as walking with your eyes on your cell phone today, but Pete's got a spidey sense, so I imagine he doesn't worry about these things the way most people have to. In fact, I know he's not, because he's thinking, Green Goblin Rage Rackets boss, what gives? Is he trying to become a hero? Pete wants to learn more about the headline he just read, and luckily for him, he knows the guy that moves all the papers in New York City, J. Jonah Jameson. So he stops into 39th Street, 2nd Avenue, Midtown limestone building you can't miss it and as is often the case jj has everyone way past busy enough pete stops at betty's desk as she walks by in the it's background in a red sweater a pink polka dot blouse beneath it and it's matching pink skirt Friday. with papers in hand there's a letter on betty's desk in front of her out tray and peter completely refusing to mind his own business picks up the letter saying here's a letter on betty's desk from europe mark personal i wonder who she knows in europe well i guess it's none of my business Imagine being so nosy you think you're minding your business when you've already stopped minding your business. You're out of line, Pete. Put that thing down and mind your business. But before putting it down, Peter can't help noticing. Pete's eyes widen in shock when he reads who the letter's from. A one Ned Leeds. A one young demon reporter. In Europe right now, stationed there for the conferences going on about nuclear proliferation. Pete says he thought Betty and Ned were over months ago, but I don't know why he's thinking that. Ned left to Europe. They didn't say they would never speak again. I imagine Pete does his best to put the letter back down in the exact position that he found it in, like any good snoop. He spots JJ who's wearing a green suit and purple sequin tie. Pete wants to ask him a couple of questions about the Green Goblin headline, I'm sure, but waits a moment because JJ's talking to a familiar face, long with graying brown hair. The man's wearing a light brown blazer and an SJB colored bow tie. He's twiddling an SJB hat in his hands as he asks, You mean you let me have a job here again? As a reporter? JJ, cigar in hand, replies, Sure, I guess I'm just soft-hearted. On page five, Pete, now side by side with JJ, points at the man's back thinking, Now I remember, it's Frederick Fosma, the big man. He must be out of jail now. The big man out after 14 months. Proof that Marvel Comics 616 universe has an even more broken justice system than the one we're living in. Otto Octavius killed one person at least when he took over the Atomic Research Center in his first appearance. And he only got seven months. Big man and the enforcers pulled off some of the best heists this side of Grand Theft Auto 5, but nobody died. And he got double the time. That's... We didn't start the fire. And BCC, Dr. C.K. Connors, respectively here on Me and My Friend Pete. Back to. Pete forgets about asking if the Green Goblins really become a hero and asks instead, what made J.J. hire Frederick Foswell back? J.J. shows a side we've never seen. He replies, because I believe in forgiveness, charity, and brotherly love. But the moment and magnanimity only lasts for the slim space between panels. He exhales a cloud of smoke his chin facing north, the best position you want to be in for a gloat, and continues. And besides, it'll be good for my public relations. It'll build up my image as a lovable do-gooder. Pete, smirking behind him, thinks JJ's an old goat who's as warm and friendly as a rattlesnake. JJ, still smiling, rubs his hands together, asking if Pete came to drop off some new exclusive photos. Pete opens both hands to show they're both empty and says, nah, I just stopped in to see Betty. 
JJ Smile vanishes. He points towards the door to high rating, shouting he doesn't have time to waste with any teenager who comes into chat. So Pete needs to get out because he's not running a Lonely Hearts Club. Pete, covering his right ear from the verbal onslaught, rushes away thinking, at least I now know he's the real Jane Jonah Jameson. Escaping the miserable magnate, he spots Betty at a filing cabinet putting papers away and asks her if she wants to catch a movie tonight. I gotta admit, I can see why JJ is always annoyed with Pete. You ever been working and there's just one person walking around not doing anything the majority of the time? That's Pete! <laughs> and since JJ's never been that guy, he can't stand that Pete's that guy. It's just a theory. But hey, Pete gets those photos. Back to, he asks, Hi, Ben. How about a movie tonight? Betty replies, Sorry, Peter. I probably have to work late because of our extra editions about the Green Goblin. And Pete's salty in the next panel. A scowl on his face. He tells Betty he'll check her later with his back to her, but he's thinking, I know that also. You think she'd have mentioned hearing from them? Perhaps there's more between them than I thought. My, how the turntables. How many times Betty cried over the Goldenrod Kid when he was sneak walking the blonde bandit Liz Allen home, making Betty cry, having coked with Doris Evans. He wasn't stressing those turntables, baby, those turntables. But we know Betty truly forgot to mention the letter from Ned because in the next panel, her Bob Flawless, she throws her hand up to her chin, thinking she forgot to mention it. And it's too late now, but she'll tell him another time. And I believe that. Betty's not only a great character, she has great character. Meanwhile, as Pete leaves the building. Pete's exited the Daily Bugle and is walking down the street when he spots Foswell talking to a guy wearing a maroon blazer, gray t-shirt, and brown flat cap. The guy has one buck tooth hanging out of the middle of his lips. The cheap way to show a person is somehow shady. Bad teeth in the U.S. automatically means you're lowborn or untrustworthy. So too in the 616 universe as well, it seems. You know, I think that's hot rod. Fine. Back to. Foswell's got a cigarette in his left hand, his right on the man's shoulder, and the guy's jerking his own thumb over his shoulder. Pete, we already know he never trusts the formerly in prison, thinks Foswell could just be looking for a story. And then again, it could be something more than that. Pete dashes towards his favorite alley to open six, thinking Foswell was the king of the rackets before he was arrested and believes he may be trying to do it again. And there's only one way to know for sure. Hiding behind a large box on top of an aluminum trash can, Pete unbuttons his shirt. He gets But no! I forgot, I left my costume home to dry. He runs his hand down his face, his eyes closed, thinking he can't take action as Peter Parker. So a golden opportunity wasted because of a white costume. The golden rod kid in the golden opportunity wasted. However, nice and comfy in his snug-fitting dry costume, the Green Goblin is wasting no time at all. And the Goblin's crowd flow on his glider, flying through an open window towards a slim man who's stylish in a black suit, red tie, and black fedora with a yellow sequin band. Goblin screams that he raced here as fast as he could and asks the man if he has it. And we see money can buy style, but not loyalty. The man says he's got it, that he'd be dead if Lucky knew the man was double-crossing him. He hands the Green Goblin a sheet of paper with a ledger of all the money Lucky's made from his various businesses. He says if the Income Tax Bureau, translation, IRS, ever saw it, they'd put Lucky away for life. Green Goblin is going to get the untouchables to come down on Lucky hard for tax evasion, like his last name's Capone. Green Goblin takes a sheet of paper from the Judas, and we get another gorgeous close-up shot of his maniacal grin as he presses his hand to his cheek. He says now he's gotta make the list public, and he knows just how to do that little thing. Later, at the Swank Midtown Business Executives Club, we find... Jameson is in a room filled with New York's money men, movers and shakers, and labor exploiters, all I'm sure. And we see JJ's wasted no time in letting his fellow magnates know his good deed. An older man, maybe 65, maybe 70, named Merriweather, with the Carl Winslow working in an SJB suit and pink tie, sits in a leather chair at the center of the room as JJ stands next to him. He tells Jameson that hiring Foswell back, ex-convict that he is, was a very generous thing he's done. JJ replies, You know me, Merriweather. I didn't get my reputation as a warm-hearted, generous, good Samaritan for nothing. So we may see JJ constantly tirading and plotting evil deeds and creating supervillains, but we know other people of wealth and means hold him in high esteem. Mrs. Vander Twilliger thought he was the bee's knees last issue at the art exhibit. And now, in front of the other NYC bigwigs, the biggest wig is giving him props. But JJ's a busy man. And the work doesn't stop just because he's standing around in his swanky club. A balding man in a gray suit, gray tie, so definitely the help, definitely the butler, steps into the room. 
He tells JJ he's sorry to interrupt, but an employee has come to see him. Surrounded by his peers, feeling ultra important and barely turning his head, JJ tells the butler, Decisions, decisions, decisions. They can't get along without me. All right, all right, don't just stand there. Tell him I'll be right out. Jameson walks into the vestibule where Frederick Foswell is waiting, hat in one hand, a sheet of paper in the other, near a bust of Marcus Aurelius. Why not? Jameson, his smile gone, is back in tirader mode. You! How dare you disturb me here, Foswell? Foswell holds up the sheet of paper saying he got it from a stoolie. A what? A snitch. And it's a complete ledger of Lucky Lobo's finances. He holds a sheet of paper out to JJ saying, I did this to prove to you that I'm on the up and up now. This info is enough to put Lucky out of circulation for good. JJ shouts to see it immediately and I'm sure snatches it from Foswell's hand in the gutters between panels. JJ, his hand to his chin, tells Foswell good work, that this is going to put his paper on the map and cement his status as a public-spirited citizen. Foswell, putting his hat onto his head, says he thought JJ would like that. But JJ's paper is already a big deal. So's he. But I guess when you're a magnate, you can always be a bigger deal. A short time later at police headquarters. We're outside of the building, but we're not the only ones. Green Goblin is eavesdropping from a nearby rooftop, stage left. The desk sergeant and JJ converse inside of the precinct, their voices carrying to where Green Goblin is. The sergeant is telling Jameson he's been a great help, that the ledger is exactly what they need to bring down Lucky Lobo. Jameson says he just did what any brave person would do, while the Goblin thinks everything's going according to plan. We move inside the precinct and the desk sergeant has rallied the troops. Officer Lowry's here, Joe and Tomas are here, Ike is here. The sergeant, pounding his fist on his desk, tells his team to alert special forces that they're running Operation R for Raid and he wants every one of the businesses closed up and their financial records seized and impounded. JJ in the foreground, smiling his cheeky eyes closed smile thinks, If the mayor decides to give me a citation at City Hall, I'll try to be my usual modest self. I wouldn't want people to think my successes are going to my head. Imagine that! Delusion! More than just a winter sport of extreme speed and muscle memory, it's JJ's state of mind right now. And now, back to Peter Parker, again. Peter's holding his costume up, all smiles. It's finally dry and he's thinking he did a great job cleaning it. But he didn't clean it to admire it. He cleaned it to get suited and booted. And he does. The final panel on page seven, he's standing horizontally on a sheer wall overlooking the city we know and love with only his feet. Vertigo be damned, thinking he feels like a million bucks. And between the Green Goblin, Frederick Foswell, and Lucky Lobo's mom, there should be plenty of fun and games ahead of me tonight. Spidey's on The Prowl. We turn the page and we're on The Infinity, infinity, page. infinity page. Page 8. Just in time to witness Spidey still clinging to the sheer wall of the building as squad cars pass below with sirens blaring. Spidey watches Joe, Tomas, Laurie, and Ike hop out of their cars and rush into a building. Guessing it's a raid, he thinks he can get some photos for JJ. But when he leaps to a lower rooftop to snap his pictures, he notices a wide body SJB Cadillac breaking from a concealed emergency exit, and he thinks, It's like a scene from The Untouchables. Me and Spidey in sync, I said Capone, he says Untouchables. He screams, But instead of Elliot Ness, he'll have that lovable old web spinner to waltz around with, and starts racing along the sheer wall of the building saying he's really going to enjoy this. But before the eager teenager can leap into action, another costume figure whizzes by, stopping the getaway car and its tracks. Goblin swoops in front of the car and tosses a pumpkin bomb at the front axle, bringing the car to a halt immediately, screaming, Ha! Bullseye! Ain't Gobby's no hero. He thinks he can't let them escape, not because he's a good Samaritan, but because if they get caught, they'll rat on Lucky to get free. Spidey's been watching the whole scene unfold, his fingers and toes pressed against the wall of a building. He can't understand why the goblin started helping the police, but of course, there's only one way to find out. He leaps onto a nearby water tower, huh. caught on the tail of the green goblin, thinking, It's time for following the leader again, and ready or not, here I come. So Spidey is all about games today, so much so he's creating hybrids. But the wily goblin, ever alert, glimpses the graceful, fast-moving figure who flits across the rooftops behind him. And of course, Green Goblin, never scared, thinks this is his lucky day. In another close-up, grinning as he looks over his shoulder, he thinks, It shouldn't be difficult for me to get the bumbling costume fool to do my dirty work for me. And gets an idea. He's going to lead Spidey to Lucky Lobo's headquarters, have them fight each other, and then return, as he says, to gather up the spoils. 
And a short distance away, the gang leader barks frenzied orders to his lieutenants. Lucky is sweating, flop sweating, all over his pinstripe suit. He's got a phone receiver pressed to his ear as his gang looks on from behind him. To them, he says, we've got to lay low, pull in our horns. We'll close down all our gambling joints. Into the receiver? Hello, Charlie? Tell the boys to burn all our records. Nobody talks to nobody. I'll beat this rap yet. Bowtie Charlie is a part of Lucky Lobo's gang. Nobody talks to nobody, he says. But that's a double negative, so everybody talks. That's like nobody doesn't like Sarah Lee. But I get it. Back to. But no sooner does Lucky hang up the phone when... Goblin shoots into the window at top speed from stage left, casually tossing a pumpkin bomb from each hand to his left and right. One at Lucky's main man and one at Lucky himself. He asks if Lucky's ready to turn over leadership of his mob yet. And Lucky may be pressed, but he's not soft. Running to dodge the bomb, he screams, The Goblin! He's been warned! Let him have it! In a red negative space, Goblin fills the room with white smoke from the exhaust of his glider, spraying sparks, tossing pumpkin bombs, causing chaos, screaming. Alas, my friend, you can't let me have it when you haven't got it. Quipping. Someone shouts the goblin shooting gas at them, but Lucky's keeping a cool head. He says it's not gas, just smoke, that if they turn on the air conditioner, they'll be fine. He tells them to hurry because he doesn't want the goblin to get away. But his number two man can't see through all the smoke. He can't find the blame switch. Goblin is working in this room. But before the smoke can clear, Another colorful figure makes a neighborly call. The camera shifts to the window once more, and things have gone from bad to worse for Lucky Lobo and his gang. Now, we're looking at the window straight on as Spidey hurdles towards it, and Spidey's all heart. He's thinking, if the goblin really is on the level, I can't let him tackle the whole mob by himself. Great power. You already know the rest. Spidey swings into the window, feet first, thinking he wants to have some of the fun too. A gangster from off panel shouts about Spidey's arrival. Another knows that whatever the goblin just did to this room, it's nothing in comparison to what the golden liability can do to a building. Tin opens to the smoke clearing and Spidey realizing goblins dipped off and this is another handicap match. Six on one at least that we can see. Spidey's facing attitude era odds. He thinks, this is one for the books. I come charging in to help the goblin, but he ducks out, leaving me to face Lucky's muscle in by myself. Oh well, live and learn. Spidey is not scared. Spidey is ready. And as the smoke dissipates around his ankles, Lucky Lobo shouts, don't just stand there, rush him. Nobody moves. First to rush is first to fall. They all know this. They've seen Spidey working. So Lucky explains. We'll all tackle him at once. After we polish him off, we'll claim it was self-defense. All this is happening and Goblin is cheesing outside of the window. He wants them to fight to the finish, thinking there's only going to be one winner at the end of this. The Green Goblin. And we got action. Two goons pull guns, but Spidey's got their hands webbed up before a green so his goon can even scream. Look out for his weapon. Another one, Lavender Suit, Brown Fedora shouts, Too late. He rushes forward. Joined by a goon in a maroon suit, and they come at Spidey from behind. Maroon suit says they don't need their rods to stop Spidey. But they need something, because Spidey bends at the waist, hits both men so hard in the stomach their hats fly off. Spidey screaming the whole time that he gets nervous when people talk behind his back. I'm sure they crumple to the floor. As Spidey leaps up, dodging an olive-suited right cross and a green-suited uppercut. Spidey's fingertips press against the ceiling now. He says the floor is getting stuffy that they should meet him up on a roof where there's more room. In the next panel, agility on best ever, Spidey flips upside down, midair, dodging a lamp, throws him off panel. He hits SJB suit with an up and undercut, and Alex suit with a back fist. What's a bat? You know in kung fu movies, people rush a master from behind, and they just throw up a fist over their shoulder, and always crack the dude square in the face that they're not even looking at? Yeah, well that's a back fist. Back two. Spidey shouts that he's being silly. He just remembers none of these gangsters can cling to a ceiling, and he says it is a pity. He flips down to the floor, putting Green Suit down with a hammer fist to the armpit, screaming, I wish you boys would be more careful. You're liable to skin my knuckles with those hard chins of yours. All these Sunday punches are going to leave Spidey scarred. This is a gorgeous panel. His right foot is about to touch down. His left is bent at the knee higher than his head. We can't even see his head behind the left punch being thrown. Ditko knows anatomy and Spidey knows agility. Both 
working right now. Eleven opens to Spidey leapfrogging his guy who's throwing a wild haymaker who apparently has a color changing suit. Spidey says he wants to try a new trick. He webs the back of the guy's olive jacket shouting, don't worry, it won't stain. Grabbing the guy in the gutter between panels, a gutter really quickly is the space between panels back too. So Spidey grabs the guy in the gutter between panels and tosses him up onto the wall where the guy sticks. This is a nifty trick, but it isn't the bizarre part of all of this. The bizarre part is that the guy's suit has turned from olive to emerald green. And I'm gonna no prize this away by saying that the guy's suit turned green with envy from Spidey's bag of tricks. We're moving on. So Spidey tossed the monster up onto the wall, calling him instant wallpaper, and gets back to work. He spins, sprays a line of webbing from both shooters across the room at two goons, trapping them by their feet to the floor, telling them not to worry, the webbing will wear off just in time for them to go to jail. His Spidey sense activates as an SJB suit from behind him pulls a gun. Spidey goes A-O-B-E immediately. He leaps huh. sideways, horizontally with his arms wide, pulling his feet out of the way of the two bullets fired at him. The bullets shatter a nearby desk lamp exactly where Spidey was. He just got out of the way in time. The goons are just pouring out of the woodwork like Agent Smith in The Matrix Reloaded right now. One in a tan blazer and green slacks screams that Spidey's fast, but not fast enough. As Spidey does a one-armed cartwheel that takes him across the room ha! towards the guy who just tried to shoot him dead. Spidey gives him an up and undercut before pushing off of his left arm across the room again and over the loudmouth, screaming. Really? Gee, I'm glad you told me. Perhaps I want to eat more Wheaties for breakfast. So you know that's a shout out to Wheats. And this guy's gotta be a dunce. He shouts, well, where, where'd he go? While firing the shot at nowhere. Spidey must be a red and blue blur in this room. He hits the floor and leaps through an open door grabs the top of the door frame and flips into the room and onto the sheer wall, shouting, Thanks, boys. It's been a real fun session. But Spidey's still worried. He thinks this has been fun, but he still doesn't know what the goblin is playing at. He slams the door shut so he can catch our breaths, I'm sure. And to make sure we're fully rested, he webs the frame closed, thinking that'll hold while he takes care of something as four bullets punch through the door. Lucky's gang has no quit in them. On the other side of the door, three monsters are slamming their shoulders into the wood trying to get it open. But Spidey's webbing is the greatest invention in the whole world. That may not save him though. Lucky says, he trapped himself. There's no other way out of that room. But Spidey isn't seeking a way out. Instead, Spidey spots the phone on Lucky Lobo's desk and thinks it's just what he needs. He leaps down from the sheer wall huh. and dials his home phone number. Spidey, making Lobo's dime, his time! He lifts his mask up past his lips and starts chatting with Aunt May like there aren't gun-toting gangsters on the other side of the door. Like he's just sitting around nonchalantly doing nothing. He says, Hi Aunt May, this is Peter. You wanted me to call you if I'd be late for dinner, remember? Well, it looks as though I might be a little bit delayed. May, lovely in a pink dress in the next panel, smiles saying she's glad Pete didn't forget to call because now She'll wait to put the potatoes into the oven. She asks if Pete's dressed warmly because the weather's getting colder. And Pete has gotten comfortable in this. The panel of the week. He's still got the phone pressed to his ear, his left leg over his right, the door frame web shut in the background. He is relaxed right now. This is a beautiful panel. And he replies, sure, I'm fine. I'm real warm and snug right now. Won't you worry about me here? Well, I have to hang up now. I think someone else might want to use the phone. So Spidey hangs up, and we see May smiling in the next panel. Left hand on hip, right hand holding the phone. She says that Pete's such a dear boy, and he never forgets to call his aunt. This is just hilarious to me. I, I gotta keep going, but this is hilarious to me. May goes on to say that she wishes he didn't study so hard and hopes he gets enough exercise. Pete may not get enough exercise, but the golden liability absolutely does and we see the gangsters finally manage to break through the door they have to because no part of the door that has webbing attached is budging at all they literally break through the center of the door that's not webbed to the edges and spidey he stands up off the desk raises his hand and surrender in the final panel saying come in gents as lucky says got your arms raised eh? so you decided to give up the gang leader his gun raised to open you can say it Lucky 13, 
tells Spidey whose back is facing us to lower his hands. Spidey lowers them slowly, no problem, but none of the gang sees the webbing Spidey stretched out over the ceiling like a net. He's thinking, I knew they wouldn't think to look at the ceiling where my webbing is suspended. It'll fall any second. As one of Lucky's goons asks what everybody's waiting for, that nobody should be able to hear shots from inside of Lucky's office. But the webbing net trap falls down onto 99% of the goons in the room. Only Lucky escapes as the net falls over his gangsters. Lucky breaks for the exit, aiming his pistol behind him to fire at the webhead. But Spidey leaps over huh. the struggling buffoons and webs up Lucky's gun with his web shooter accuracy. Lucky warns Spidey to stay back, and Spidey replies, You're warning me? That's like Mickey Mouse warning King Kong. I'm the silverback gorilla in this situation. Not you. Back to Spidey still quipping. He braces his feet on both sides of the doorframe and webs Lucky's gun hand up. Lucky shouts, Wait, stop, don't, let, let's make a deal. I'd rather team up with you than the goblin. And Spidey's confused. He replies, What do you mean? Talk, Longbone. Lucky, holding a hand up to cover his face from a Spidey strike, asks if Spider-Man really doesn't know why his gang is fighting the goblin. Spidey, advancing on him, replies of what he read in the paper that Goblin's trying to help the police get the information they need to put the gang away. Lucky, his eyes wide with horror as Spidey bowls a fist and grabs him by the collar, elaborates. I want to say a little bit more. I'm not trying to get punched in the face. Sure he is, but only because he wants to take over my mob. With me out of the way, he figures he can be boss of the underworld. In the final panel, in a beautiful close-up and profile of the webhead, he's thinking, it's pretty clever of him. The papers ran him up like a hero. The police think he's helping them. And he even fooled me. Well, all he really wants is to take over the rackets himself. At that moment, the sound of wailing sirens again fills the air and... Spidey loves the cosmic timing of the police showing up at exactly the moment he's through with Lucky Lobo. You know what I'm thinking. Outside of the elite squad of Lowry, Joe, Tomas, and Ike, they're late as usual. Spider-Man webs Lucky Lobo from the ceiling of his office and heads for the window. And Lucky's still trying to get Spidey to join him on the dark side. He says it'll be you and me. Come on, man, you and me. But Spidey's not with that. If you recall, in ASM number five, marked for destruction by Dr. Doom, Spidey was asked by the Latvarian Lion himself to team up, and Spidey refused. He could have had a partnership with one of the world's most powerful men and turned it down. Why would he settle for Lucky Lobo and the Rackets? Please, I just ain't. <laughs> like what you're saying is making me sick to my stomach, bro. Shut up. And leaps through the open window. Ha! Scaling the sheer wall of the building, Spidey proves he knows his enemy. He's thinking that the Goblin, being who he is, is still in the area waiting to see where the chips fall. High above the city, Spidey spots the Green Goblin on his glider and thinking he was right shouts, Someone else can pull your chestnuts out of the fire from now on, Gobby. I'm on to you now. And the chase is on. Web swinging at over 100 miles per hour as he does, Spidey's on top of Goblin figuratively in a moment. He shouts that the Goblin's not getting away, and Goblin, low on his glider, his pajama hat whipping behind him, says Spidey's not even in his league. But he's wrong. Spidey makes one final lunging swing forward to land, literally on top of the Goblin. Crossing on the villain's back in a goldenrod negative space, he shouts, That, you green guard goon, remains to be seen. And we got action. The combined weight of Spider-Man and Green Goblin atop his glider sends the two spiraling towards the earth. Goblin screaming for Spider-Man to get off because they're falling. His glider was not made for two people. But Spidey knows what he's doing. Putting Goblin in a half Nelson, he shouts, I've got news for you, son. Son, land it this way. Before they crash through a skylight that is on page 15. They're in a factory now with large silver pipes and pumps. So I'm guessing it's a wastewater resource recovery facility. Translation? A water treatment plant. I'm going to assume it's the Bowery Bay water treatment plant. I went on a school trip there in elementary school. I still remember all the pipes, the rushing water, giant sterile looking water towers, but more than anything else, the chlorine smell mixed with the scent of rotting eggs. It smells so dirty to get water clean. Appreciate it. So I'm sure Spidey and Gobby are glad they're both wearing masks as they hurtle rapidly towards the floor. Spidey bails from the glider at the last moment so Gobby can veer up before he hits the ground, shouting that the Goblin shouldn't count on taking any long trips. And Goblin says, don't worry, I won't unless it's to visit you in the hospital. Goblin is the only Spidey villain so far who matches Spidey quip for quip. 
but Gobby's got more than a smart mouth. He hurls a pumpkin bomb at Spidey, shouting, which is where you'll be after one of these little concussion bombs finds their mark. But when you add spider speed to spider strength, you get a combination that just can't be stopped without a miracle. Spidey leaps from the floor as the <laughs> pumpkin bomb explodes where he was just standing, grabbing a vertical water pump overhead, saying that he shouldn't have been warned. Goblin lets fly another pumpkin bomb, and Spidey backflips up the pump out of the way, dodging the bomb easily, saying economy-sized Spider-Man don't make easy targets. His right foot barely touches down on the metal before Spidey's leapt from the pillar, both arms wide, flying above the green goblin, asking if the villain noticed he's not an easy target yet. Goblin has that mask on, but I'm sure beneath it, he's upset, because staring up, he screams, Blast you! You talk so much! You get me all confused. Spidey, falling towards the villain just about to grab him up, says he didn't even know he had another spider power, the gift of gab, or spider speech. But Goblin knows Spidey's agile, so he's made sure his glider can handle a one-on-one -on -one with the Great One. He maneuvers out of the way of the soaring wall crawler, saying Spidey didn't think he was so fast. And Spidey says, honestly, I never thought about it. Like, man, I'm not thinking about how fast you are. I'm one of the fastest. What am I worried about you for? My agility is best ever. Back to On 16, we've got some dynamic panel work happening here. The turntables have Goblin giving chase now. In a mid-sized horizontal, where we see Spidey grabbing a horizontal pipe from beneath and twirling around it, dodging a laser the Green Goblin's just let fly from his right pointer finger. And Goblin, again, is screaming. After today, you'll never again interfere in any of my plans. Spidey asks if the Goblin's decided to go straight. In a vertical panel, half the size of the first, Goblin's hand throws a perfect slider of a pumpkin bomb as he continues. No, I decided to finish you for good. Goblin is murder-minded, but he's going to have to find a better way to do it because in another small vertical, Spidey webs the pumpkin bomb and spinning it over his shoulder, hurls it back at the Goblin. No look in a short horizontal, quipping. Boy, the way you go around wasting those little bombs of yours, you must get them wholesale. Spidey lets fly with both shooters in the next panel, shouting for Gobby to let him do the honors for a while. But Goblin was hoping Spidey would do this, and the turntables are out again. Goblin grabs our hero's webbing with both hands and shoots off, crouched low on his glider, screaming, I've always wanted to trap you with your own overrated webbing. In the final panel, Gobby in the background stage right, his left knee up at his chest, hovering on his glider, whips the webbing above his head, flipping Spidey upside down in the foreground shouting that Spidey made the biggest mistake of his life, deciding to battle the Green Goblin again, and Spidey replies, Boy, and you said I gamble on. I think you're trying to beat me by talking me to death. This is a beautiful page, not only the art, but the mirrored layout. It goes a vertical quarter page panel, two 16th verticals side by side, above a horizontal eighth, two more 16th verticals above another horizontal eighth, ending with another quarter vertical. That's beautiful to look at. And in these early days, a unique look, breaking the standard seven to nine panels side by side in order. In a long horizontal to open page 17, both men are working. Goblin shot a laser at a platform Spidey was just on, and the action lines show us Spidey's left huh. up out of the way. Spidey shooting a spray of webbing from his left hand towards Green Goblin, who's incinerating it with a shot of sparks from his right pointer finger over his left shoulder, while at the same time, hurling a pumpkin bomb that Spidey's lifting his right leg to avoid. They are going CQC crazy right now. The whole time, they're quipping back and forth. Here, this will stop you. Blast it. If only you'd stay still long enough for one of my little trinkets to hit you. I don't know your real identity, Gobby, but I know one thing. You sure are an ex-Big League baseball player. And we can rule out the Goblin having played for the New York Giants. Gobby digs into his pink bag of tricks, shouting that no one will know his secret identity until he decides to reveal it. But he thinks, I've been too careless. I used up my whole bag of tricks. His whole bag of tricks is empty. You know he pops a Yui and makes smoke trails thinking he can't fight now and has to escape. Spidey, realizing the advantage is his, thinks this is his chance and raises his trusty left hand to let fly from his web shooters. But he gets the Dr. No treatment. Translation? He's empty! These two have worked themselves out of all their gear. I would think this is the perfect moment for them to hit the floor and start slugging it out. But Goblin doesn't seem to fight that way. Goblin, his grin on perpetual, 
burst back through the skylight screaming that he and Spidey will meet again another day. But Spidey's not calling the game yet. In a mighty jump, he follows Goblin ha. through the skylight thinking, one door guy leap might still get me to him. Spidey takes that leap on the next panel, kicks off the side of a building to keep his momentum and thinks, uh, up now. I'll ricochet against that building, and if my luck holds out. But Spidey doesn't have great luck, only great skill and an overwhelming sense of responsibility. As Goblin rockets towards freedom, wondering if Spidey walks on air. Spidey, at home in the sky with no cape. Flying heroes eat your heart out. He lunges forward as he did when this chase began three pages ago, but Goblin's learning, you can say it, on the fly. He rockets upward, calling Spidey foolhardy, and shoots away into the dusk. Spidey, both arms out in front of him, falling towards the earth, thinks, Missed, and no fluent left to make an emergency shoot for me. The last time Spidey fell from the sky like this, he sprained his shoulder. That was in ASM number seven. The Return of the Vulture. Or bonus episode one here on Me and My Friend Pete. One Man's Trash. So Spidey's in real danger. He grabs a billboard light to open 18, but his speed and weight cause it to snap off. But he has lost enough speed to grab a flagpole beneath the billboard one-handed. He screams that if he times this just right, he should be able to spin himself up to the roof and shouting, alley-oop, takes to the sky feet first. But he overshoots it, and his only chance now is to grab onto the ladder of a water tower he's rocketing past. And in a last-ditch effort, he grabs the handle, landing on top of the tower. Breathing heavy, wiping sweat from his forehead, his bum probably clenched tight enough to make a dime even thinner than it is, Spidey shouts, Who boy? A guy's gotta be a mental case to volunteer for this kind of work. Meanwhile, the Green Goblin reaches his hideout a few minutes later. Goblin shoots through his open window past his leather sofa and desk lamp, shouting, That Spider-Man has more lives than a cat, but I'll get him, sooner or later, before hopping off of his glider and walking over to the radio in the room, monologuing something fierce. He says he can't worry about Spidey right now because he's gotta be sure Lucky Lobo is out of the way and clicks on the radio on the table there. In one of the biggest halls of the year, the police have arrested the entire Lucky Lobo gang, acting on an anonymous tip, they. And for the first time, all issue Goblin smile vanishes from his mask. He turns the radio off and screams. Then it was always. I was too successful. If the whole gang is in jail, I have nothing to take over. I'm no better off than I was. Another Goblin plot foiled by the kid in the spider mask. Meanwhile, Spidey is racing along the sheer wall above his favorite alley, saying it's time to change back into our favorite Goldenrod kid from Queens. Changing back into his Steve McQueen, he says he should call Aunt May again, and he wants to stop into the Daily Bugle before he goes home. We get a great panel of Pete in a phone booth. I miss phone booths in New York. I only know of one left standing in the West End now. Video killed the radio star and cell phones killed the phone booth. Back to Pete's trying to call Aunt May, but the line is busy. So he says he'll call her later and heads into the bugle where he overhears Jameson and Foswell talking. Jameson's telling Foswell that the information he was able to obtain for the police is going to put Lucky Lobo away for a long time. Foswell says he's glad he could help, and Pete, eavesdropping from behind a filing cabinet, thinks, Hmm, Foswell's tip was responsible for the police getting the goods on Lucky, and the goblin wanted Lucky out of the way. Is there some connection between the two of them? Foswell puts his hat on and walks past Pete without noticing him, and that's good. Because Pete's flop sweating as he thinks, Foswell's a lot smarter than he seems. In fact, he might be a threat to my secret Spider-Man identity. If he ever suspected that the pictures I sent with Jonah are really taken by Spidey, I'd better be extra careful from now on. So Pete thinks Foswell could be connected to the Green Goblin and that the man's too smart to drop his guard around. But Foswell was working at the Bugle for a while, and I think before Pete started as a freelance photographer. So he already knows what Pete's about unless this is some retcon action to add an element of anxiety into the Goldenrod kid's life on Stan and Steve's part. Jameson spots Pete lost in thought, and you know Jameson, he's gonna jump straight to the business. He says Pete must be back to drop off some new photos finally and ask where they are. Pete, looking over his shoulder, says, nah, I've been busy lately, you don't even know. JJ, covering his eyes with his right hand, his head thrown back towards the ceiling as Betty Brand walks up, he screams. The goblin's flying all over town. Lucky Lobo and his mob were just caught and are awaiting trial. It's been the biggest week for crime news in months, but you're too busy to take any pictures? Pete replies he never looked at it that way. Maybe because he's been in the thick of the action, JJ. In the final panel, Betty folds clutch to her chest says it's too bad Pete disappointed JJ with the photos, and Peter Parker gets petty. Leaning against the filing cabinet, 
He replies, well, lots of people disappoint other people, Betty. Referencing that Ned Leeds letter, I'm sure. Penalty, unnecessary roughness, and hypocrisy. Still first down. He's disappointed Betty so many times at this point, he doesn't have a right to throw shade. If he's hurt, he should be direct and say so. Back to. Betty asks what he means by that, but as brave as Pete is, he doesn't have the stones to be honest here, so he tells Betty to skip it. On 20, Jameson spots Betty and Pete talking and snaps. Miss Brent, have you nothing better to do than talk to that has-been photographer? We still have a newspaper to publish around here. Call Pete a has-been. Just last issue, he was buying photos of the Masters of Menace off of that has-been. The nerve. Betty knows how her bread is buttered and says she'll be right there to get back to work. Pete says, nah, I was leaving anyway. Betty asks Pete when will he call, and Pete replies as soon as he gets the chance but he's still obsessing over the fact that Betty hasn't mentioned Ned Leeds. He leaves the building and spots Foswell outside of the bugle smoking a cigarette and wonders why he's so jumpy every time he sees the man. <laughs> Maybe it's because Foswell, as the big man, put Spidey through his paces. Spidey had to run through at least 100 goons to stop the man. If I were Pete, I'd be nervous too around him after that, for sure. But Pete lets it go and gets home. He swings his front door open and before even saying hello, Screams to his aunt that he's as hungry as a bear. Rude. Where are the niceties? He climbs the stairs towards his room thinking, It always makes her happy when I'm hungry. She loves to see me eat. I wonder where she is. She wasn't downstairs. Pushing her door open without knocking, he hopes she isn't ill. But Aunt May isn't in her room either. So Pete heads back downstairs and takes a seat in a brown leather armchair. May comes in a few minutes later asking Pete if he didn't see her note. She says she left a TV dinner for him in the refrigerator and that the note was on the television. She asks if Pete's okay, saying he looks a bit peaked. The peaky Parker. Pete says he's fine. In the final panel, he puts hands to his chin, wondering why he feels so on edge. His grades are still tops in class, Aunt May's healthy, Betty may have just forgot to mention a letter, and he would have beaten the Green Goblin if he didn't run out of web fluid. And yet, I have a strange feeling, a feeling of foreboding as though some terrible danger is waiting, just around the corner. The issue ends as it often does with the caption box. Poor Peter Parker. Even though there's nothing to worry about, he worries about that. But this time, his fears may be justified, for the future does hold many grim dangers and startling surprises for him, and you'll share them with him beginning next issue. So till then, face front, and don't wear your costume until it's good and dry. And we're out. Foswell's back, so that means the big man may be too, and that means we may get the GOAT gang, the Enforcers, eventually. I really like the drama unfolding with Betty and Ned and Pete, and I wonder if Ned will be returning from his trip soon. I really enjoyed the action sequences with the Goblin. Ditko's so good at giant action scenes from page to page. This is back in the time of eight or nine panel pages, and it never feels like a slog to read through. The paneling may actually be better for showcasing Spidey's hop around off the wall and floor and ceiling style than the less paneled, larger art scales we see in comics today, in my opinion. Goblin is the perfect foil to Spider-Man. He's just as outspoken while fighting and has the perfect weapons and tools in his bag of tricks for them to have memorable battles every time they meet up to square off. I love to see it. My favorite moment in it all? Spidey calling Aunt May while in the thick of combat. You can't teach that level of brazenness. That's the main episode this week, and that's true. That's the main episode, but there is more Me and My Friend Pete available for your listening pleasure right now. If you support this show on Patreon.com slash HSPP, patrons get a bonus show every week where I've run through comic books from all over the multiverse of comics, past and present, from Marvel to DC to all points in between. This week, we're running through DC's Batman, The Widening Gyre, Part 4. The center cannot hold. Batman's got a new partner in his war on crime and an old flame who's found the love at the center of his cold, dead heart. If we've got comics, we've got history, and I'll be your guide through it all. Head over to patreon.com HSPP and sign up to the Key Keeper or High Council tiers now. Next week on the main episode, we've got Spidey losing his mind. The pressures of being a hero have finally caught up to him, so much so he decides to see a shrink for real this time. Has Spidey really snapped? We'll see in a week. This podcast is completely listener supported and your support keeps this crazy train on the tracks. I'm truly grateful you keep coming back and more grateful you allow me to be the conductor. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, 
A special thanks to the home team. That's the right minders, the big three, the key keepers, and the high council. Parker's 11. You got questions? Send them to me in myfriendpete at gmail.com and I'll go digging for the answers. All that said, that's all that said. Please like, please comment, please share, please take care, please think of the world and be true to yourself. And remember, with great power, you know you know the rest. Make sure you're being responsible. I'm out of here.